Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Josh Brown, why was the Star Wars video game run of the mid-2000s the best thing we ever collectively experienced? Sometimes I wonder if life will ever get better than that because what a, and, oh, what a good string of games. Oh, I mean, this is the one that we will talk about the latest video games, the latest talking points in the gaming industry, but I'll tell you what's happening in my life. Go on. I hooked up a Steam Deck and a Steam Deck dock to my TV and I just sat and played the Game Boy Advance version of Star Wars Episode 3 for most of my Sunday and I would recommend that everybody listening to me does the same. The way it was supposed to be played on a big screen <laughs> Steam as God willing 20 um, years later thing is I mean I have, a, I have a real soft spot for exploded pixel art like you get me some pixel art on the biggest screen possible I think most of that stuff ages beautifully like I mean playing a bit of Minish Cap on the big TV as well yeah. um, I'm a huge fan of that stuff so we thought we'd open the podcast just very quickly talking about that we, that massive run yeah. of games because you did have and obviously it wasn't tied to a movie but things like Night of the Old Republic those weird spin-offs like Star Wars Destruction I think is the one you played oh man I think the Twisted yes, Metal style one I can't remember the exact title but it's there so was a lot of them. great or well, it was great at the all time. the battlefronts and everything and it just playing through that also because I, I randomly bought episode 3 on Xbox as well because it works on Series X it's backwards compatible if anyone or Series S if anyone wants to play those games oh no not Series S because there's no disc tray um, but still going back through those old games it just made me go like man was it better before Disney like oh it. my god how much did Disney kill everything Star Wars on the Game Boy is great yep. and it's probably a better game than the tie-in to that movie that was released on the Xbox but the oh, Xbox version close. is still great yeah. and I prefer it personally I just remember having a great time with that Mm-hmm. And then if you go back even further, you've got Star Wars Jedi Power Battles, which absolutely ruled. Yep, yep, you've yep. got uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace on PS1, which I'm playing through <laughs> right now. You've got KOTOR, like you mentioned. It's just a great run of games. And mm-hmm. yes, not everything was great. Star Wars Obi-Wan, by all accounts, wasn't awesome. I never played Obi-Wan. Bounty Hunter was amazing. Yes, though. it was. So it was almost as if for every dud, you had one that cancelled it out, so it well, didn't really matter. I think you never really got less than a 6 out of 10. And yeah. also those ones that were 6 out of 10s were like those kind of fun 6 out of 10s where you want to you, you enjoyed it because you're younger and you can have a bit of nostalgia for it now. Um, yeah, just to quickly touch on the, <laughs> anyone else who wants to play the Game Boy Advance version of Episode 3, that game holds up very, very well. The animation is beautiful. Um, it's just nice, tight, side-scrolling, beat-em-up levels and a nice little unlock system. There's a branching path thing yeah. based on who you're playing as depending on how your score went in the level the upgrade points are doled out based on your performance and um, you're unlocking new moves and stuff and I love I mean I always play a game as if like it is that year that I'm in but I also have a retroactive appreciation for something if I'm playing it now and like, I was just playing this Anakin I was I was voicing his own lines because there's no voice in that uh, in the game but you know the way he it made me realize I hate him um, Christensen's performance is more iconic than it you is. think because yeah. you can just kind of talk like this and it's <laughs> that's the what he did master and I was like just doing this but in that game when you like cut 
cut a droid in half in beautiful animation, you can pick up parts of them and fling them at someone else. And I was like, this is some psyops business. Man, as someone who has been playing a lot of Dead Space, the idea mm. of cutting something in half and then throwing it around the arena or indeed into <laughs> another enemy is something I can get down for. It's such a that great That should be a standard period. mechanic in everything, to be Absolutely, honest. Yeah. it should be. It's such a great period. That's such a great game specifically. And to be honest, we mentioned this a little bit on the UEP mm. last week. Yes. But it's the reason why I'm disappointed with Nintendo's Game Boy library, Scott Tilford, because they should have stuff like Episode 3. <laughs> they should have stuff like Spider-Man Mysterio's Menace. They've like, got Alone in the Dark. They do have a lot of the dark. And that's the only licensed thing they have that isn't their own, but that's still. The one in, in, that's <laughs> the one that got me interested. That's the one I want to play. <sighs> on the Game Boy Color. Um, but yes, yeah, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about Star Wars games, because yeah, you're going through episode one as well. Quick thoughts on the old revisiting episode one in 2023. It was one of the first games I ever played, so right. I have such nostalgia for it. I remember every color vividly. I remember the delivery of every line. Right. I've never finished it, though. It's kind of Ooh. like Silent Hill 1 was for me when I first retrieved my PlayStation 1 10 years ago again mm-hmm. and played through all of Silent Hill because I had such nostalgia for it, but it was only the early levels and I never finished it. Mm. And finishing that felt like a chapter of my life. So I'm excited to do the same with this game because oh. for the first five hours, I'll know every beat. But right, for the right. final levels, like when you're going up against Darth Maul and stuff, I've only ever seen my dad do that. I love when I've you realize, like going back to an old game, that your childhood brain just gave up. Yeah. Like you were loving it and you have such fond memories of it, but for whatever reason, you were distracted by something and you just didn't finish it, even you should have at the time. Well, we were talking about this, I think, very briefly again a few weeks ago. You know, why did we replay the first levels of stuff so many times, mm. even when you knew how to save games? Like Spider-Man or um, Star Wars. Mm. Like, I know the first levels of those games so much, and I finished Spider-Man a lot, but mm. I would just replay the first level, and I don't know why. why right. what, what was it about the first few levels that you could just, like, spend a lot of time in, or you could literally just keep repeating Oh, my God, that, that first level of the PS1 Spider-Man, that was the Insomniac Spider-Man slash the Spider-Man 2 of its day. Like, I remember, because it was, like, in my childhood. I mean, I remember playing that. That's still my favorite Spider-Man game. And, like, you have a chunk of the city to swing around in. Obviously, it's, like, four buildings. But it's cool. There's random thugs you can find. Like, you can explore. You can climb the walls. Like, I love that thing. Like, I used to, because that was what they gave out for free in the demo. So I used to just hang around in that part of the city being like, I'm Spider-Man. I would never play a game like this now. But, like you were saying, in that first area when you've got, like, four or five buildings, I undoubtedly have crawled every inch <laughs> of those buildings and that area yeah, yeah. so many times over my life. I know I've literally done Spider-Man's little that little crouch crawl that he yeah, does. Yeah, the little crouch crawl that he does over <laughs> every little inch of every little pixel in that opening area. I remember Why? Thinking, I don't know. I was so cool that if you go on a wall and like crawl down towards the floor, he does like a handstand flip. Yeah. And I was like, this is so cool. And you could like web zip up to the roof. Now. Also, the music that comes on when the thugs fight you is like the sickest little bass riff. Like, right. It's the coolest thing. It's just like, it's filthy. It is filthy. It's great. It's like the music in that game is just incredible. The The actual theme, like the Spider-Man theme after you get, you know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. It goes into this like little like rap about <laughs> Spider-Man and it goes so hard. It's so 90s. That entire game, even though it released in 2000, uh, is so 90s. Yeah. Like the version of Venom in that game yes. is like this. My proper, favorite version of Venom yeah. by far. <laughs> like a, a doofus, a yeah. goofy guy. He's great. Uh, and not at all. Yeah, not <laughs> at all. The sort of more intimidating version of the character that I know people love. And I remember playing it again 
uh, for the first time since mm-hmm. I was a kid for the first time um, in thinking, oh, this is not my Venom, but then being won around by right. how much of a goofball he is. He definitely starts as the more intimidating Venom and he's all like, and whatever. But then once you become friends with him, yeah. like there's that bit where he's just like, oh, how are we going to proceed? And he's like, surf the web, surf the web. And like young me's like, oh, this is the best writing ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, that game was awesome. Um, speaking of awesome stuff, um, you've been playing through more Dead Space. You're a hell of a lot further in than I am because I've just been living on Metroid Prime. But we'll talk about Dead Space first. Yes. How are you finding a, it? Just a quick check-in, man. Is it good? This, this game just keeps getting better. You know, we've mm. talked about it a few times, but now I'm I'm 12 hours in on chapter nine of 12. That makes it a lot longer than the original. Dead That's Space. it. It feels like such a chunky experience and they have introduced some um, new side missions mm. and whatnot to extend the runtime. But I just love drinking it all in, going very slow, <laughs> playing it through on hard. So I'm really managing my resources. And I think it's pretty much the perfect remake. I love the changes that they have made this time around. Mm. I love that they encourage you to use more weapons. Like one of the biggest criticisms of those early Dead Space games mm-hmm. is that you could just use the plasma cutter and like that's the best weapon you get, you, you know? And that's yes. kind of still true, but whatever ammo management system they've introduced has had me cycling through all the weapons available mm. and all of the weapons themselves are so satisfying to use with the dual sense controller with yes. the haptics. Each, like the resistance you get on something like the pulse rifle or the flamethrower or whatever, feels chunky. It kind of has that Dead Space chunk, that Dead Space weight <laughs> that is so, um, you know, unique to that franchise. And it's just, it looks great. It's mm-hmm. probably one of the best looking games I've ever played. It is. Oh man, it made me like hark for like a, a newer alien game, like a third person oh, alien yes. game. There's some, there's always, there is something about the Ishimura's design philosophy art direction in that game that obviously owes a lot to Ridley Scott or the art departments for those games. Because um, everything's just sort of metallic and dripping and cold and dark. And I was like, I love that in- industrious space mining ethos yeah. um, in things like Alien and this. With HDR on, I just think it's next level, mm. you know, playing that on like a big TV. I, it, it's one of the first times where I've thought, funnily enough, considering it's a remake, I just thought like, this is next gen, this feels <laughs> next gen. I was wondering going into it after playing the Callisto Protocol, which, you know, I didn't love, but no. thought looked gorgeous. Yes. I actually, watching the trailers for Dead Space, I thought this might not look as good or might not be as graphically or technically impressive. I was so wrong on right. that because walking through the USG Ishimura and all of its different, you know, or gnarly sights that it has to offer has just been incredible. It's one of those games that even though I've been going through it slow, mm. every time I jump on it, I just have that feeling of, oh, this is a good video game. <laughs> this is a really good video game. I think things like uh, like that, like Evil West, like just sort of like even something like Sifu is like such a, a reminder of what games just need to be. Um, obviously, we talk about this so much, but it's like that whole idea of like everything being this like bloated multiple currency battle pass, whatever. It's like, just make a video game. It'll sell well. It'll do well. Yeah. Like Dead Space is like blown up in the charts. Of dethr- oh, I was going to say dethroned Forspoken. Forspoken wasn't even in the, on the throne. <laughs> Forspoken trying to get in the room. Um, but still, Dead Space doing very well in the charts and it's just like people just want a nice packaged video game that is designed to be completed that is designed to be fun and enjoyable and memorable um, and feels like a bunch of people actually wanted to make it yeah like unlike the vast majority of everything else that's it man and i, I hope it sells well mm. i know it's next gen only which might hinder it in the short term mm. but i hope it has you know legs on it I so the price point will turn people off that's like, it yeah you know it's like 70 pounds 70 dollars for a Dead Space remake is steep. It's I do lot. think uh, I'm, I'm grateful that it has the length that it has mm. for the price. I would have maybe been a bit disappointed if I blasted through it in six to eight hours. So the fact that I'm on hour 12 and, you know, still have some to come mm. is 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 alleviating that somewhat, but it is a lot I, to ask, I think. Yeah, I don't think it's worth 70. Like, I just right. think that there's, like, it's a, I, I absolutely get, like, there's so many conversations around what a game is worth it, because this is fundamentally a remake. Like, 
there's something about that that in my head it does sort of skew asking for a premium price point for a brand new game where most games if they release at 70 they don't stay at 70 for very long anyway yeah so um and especially metroid prime's like 40 pounds or 40 dollars um so i'm just like that's a more comfortable price point i think that if there is a notable dip in sales or a notable lack of uh, response i'd almost squarely point that at the price point because yeah as much as we love dead space i was still like oh my god 70 pounds that's it's, a lot it is a lot like i still think it's definitely worth a full price release like mm. i wouldn't have charged 40 dollars for this because i think the work that's gone into it is you know of that resident evil 2 quality okay uh, but even then i do concede that they've bumped it up too much yeah, on top yeah. of that. It's kind of like when The Last of Us came out, which was a bloody great game that mm. I can't stop thinking about, by the way. And I mean, <laughs> part one, the remake. Yes. Uh, but again, the question was, is it worth $70 when you can get a really good version of it, the remastered version of it that's less than 10 years old? Yeah, well, it's, it's very like these companies just seeing what they can get away with. I mean, one of the things that I've got down in the, in the news is that idea that even Nintendo um, are starting to try this £70 price point stuff with the next Legend of Zelda. Um, but we'll get there in time. I still need to get through more Dead Space, but as I've mentioned in previous weeks, I just, I, I dead spaced myself. <laughs> Foul. I did I did a stupid thing where I played through two and three because I'd never done them. I thought that would revitalize my love of the IP, and it did. But it also meant that when I went straight into the remake, I was like, oh, I've kind of done this. Yeah. I've kind of just been doing this for the last two weeks. So um, I need to play through more. As someone, before we move on yeah. to Metroid uh, Prime, which I'm really eager to hear all about, what a game. Um, can you tell me, as someone who's played a lot of Dead Space, because mm-hmm. um, w- playing this remake, I've not played the original since it came out, okay. and I loved it at the time. But I forgot how much backtracking there was. I always knew that you know the Ishimura was it's a distinct space mm-hmm. that you were getting to know but mm-hmm. I kind of didn't realize how there were like six main areas and in this remake you're going back to old areas a lot and mm-hmm. yes uncovering new doors and new content but you're tra- traveling through older areas a lot more than I remember doing but that might just be my memory no well I, I've long long said that a criticism from me of Dead Space was that it is just very straightforward like it is just go over here and find a console and push X and then find the next console and push X and they they shake it up a little bit obviously like now with the extra levels and like so the extra like parts of levels where it's like choosing between doors opening and lights going off and whatever but it's still fundamentally that game like yeah. they haven't like overhauled the actual like geo mesh of it that much I will say then yes. thank you very much for answering that question but at the same time <laughs> is a final note I want to point out how good the force gun feels right, to okay. use if you don't know what the force gun you is you can like blast people's like flesh off this is it you <laughs> use insane force out of this massive mechanical weapon uh, and it literally blows the flesh off that's the monsters so cool. and in this game which has such insanely detailed you know yeah, yeah. like flesh systems where you're literally to cut <laughs> someone's arm off you have to cut through the muscle then cut through like the tendon yeah. then cut through the bone and you see all of it Lush. you hit one of these monsters <laughs> with the force gun and, and they look crazy they look like they've they literally been flayed and yeah. their appendages are stuck on with like the most narrow this bit of it's like bone. a Mortal Kombat fatality it gun. Is, it is so <laughs> gnarly. The first time I did it, I thought I want an unlimited ammo cheat for yeah, this yeah. gun specifically so I could just, and this sounds grim as hell, but like <laughs> rip the flesh of all these monsters to the point where they, like, I can't believe the what? way they've been animated and look. It's, what it's happens enough. to the skin? Do little skin suits fly off? Yeah, it's really? like, it's, it's as if they're, man, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a... a, a you, know when, you know in Yakuza, I, mean, I don't even play much Yakuza, but yeah. in Yakuza when two guys are going to fight, they rip off their entire costumes in one go. Like right. if you're wearing a three-piece suit, it's just grab all of it and fling because you're ready to fight. It just reminds me of that. It's it's like that. It is so funny because you know when you 
like the whole point of the monsters in Dead Space is that they only really take damage or substantial damage when like they lose limbs. Mm. So you can rip the flesh off one of these monsters to the point where like they're down to the bone, mm. but they're still coming at you. But they're coming at you with these tiny little arms <laughs> that are, like literally barely like holding like, onto the mate. body. And it is like, come on, guy, <laughs> give it up. You're not coming back from this. You're, you're nothing but bone at He's this determined. point. You're a skeleton. Where do you come down on uh, for Dead Space weapons? Where do you come down on the pulse rifle? And where do you come down on uh, that buzzsaw? one where you can hold the blade in front of you. Because I, I love the pulse both. rifle, but I get that that's like, people don't like that because it's not as punchy as it should be for a big assault weapon. But I always liked that. That was my most reliable weapon. I I liked it before, but mm. I did get that criticism. I don't have that criticism in this game because mm. the punch on it, I was thinking about the other day because I use the pulse rifle quite a lot because mm. I always end up having a lot of ammo for it. Mm -hmm. But the way that they've introduced like the haptics to that weapon and the rumble to that weapon, mm. I, I come away if I pause it to go for a wee or something. Yeah. I, I put the controller down after using it and my hand is like numb right, because okay. it's been, you know, vibrating against my skin <laughs> and it's been resisting against my finger so much mm. that it, it has such a weight to it in this game that it literally makes my hand numb. That's so cool. I love that. Because I that the one where you have to like float the blade out in front, like I've seen people do that where they then hold that blade like in an enemy and I was like, I'm never comfortable that getting that close to them and just standing there because you always get swamped by something that's nearly always something behind you, especially in the remake. Um, and so I never got that comfortable with it. But when you let the blade go and fly at something, it yeah. doesn't do that much damage. So I always go to something else anyway. Ah, see, when I use that that weapon, it's definitely a close range yeah, weapon. Yeah, yeah. It's when I'm sort of backed into a corner and there's like two or three it's enemies like a on me. Yeah, yeah, you're literally using it as a chainsaw just mm. to surgically cut the limbs off because the way like the damage model works, or at least for the way it works for me with a slightly upgraded version of it is that it also knocks them back. It staggers them a little bit. Yes. So even though they're really close, they actually can't hit you right. because you literally, you've got this saw that's inside their <laughs> stomach and you're just kind of ripping them apart. It feels like you're, like, like you're a sci-fi version of Ash from Evil Dead with right, the chainsaw, okay. like you said. I, lo I love both those weapons. I think the best, like I said, man, the best part of this remake is how they've made using all the weapons a joy mm. where they used to still be fun, but they were so overshadowed in my opinion, by the plasma cutter, mm. that it didn't really make sense to use anything else. Even using a flamethrower, which I never use in video games, just because it's always too cumbersome mm. and I don't like it, Same. feels powerful here. Mm. Again, like your aliens comparison, it makes you feel like you're, you know, yeah. Ellen Ripley in your gun like jets and nest. fire. Yeah, proper jets and like the, the necromorphs are screaming, they're falling down. <laughs> Rules, man. I feel like an absolute monster, but hey. The thing is, like, I mean, we grew obviously, you know, 90s stuff, 2000s stuff, you had games pushing towards gore. You had the Carmageddons, you had the Mortal combats the dooms whatever and i feel like over time it was just like okay guys not everything needs to have exploding limbs and whatever and i obviously love gore in games i love mortal Kombat. i love how i get giddy watching new fatalities because they're just so <laughs> stupid it's like itchy and scratchy type stuff and um, but i kind of miss that and so when you get a game that lets you sort of revel in that and have fun with it and have fun with gore it's like horror fan horror movie fans like sometimes there's a pr an appreciation of um practical effects or gore or whatever it is so like i kind of miss that in a way and so like something like evil west as well you can punch someone so hard that they just burst yeah so it's just like that's kind of fun. And so, uh, yeah, I need to play more Dead Space, and I will. Um, it was just one of those things where I didn't realize how much I was going to go from one to the next to the next, go from two to three back to one again, <laughs> and kind of effed myself over in regards to uh, that familiarity. Because Dead Space 1, the remake, is um, is just so snappy and fast and great. It, almost, it is almost like where Dead Space 3 ended up in terms of how much you can just run around and mow through, guys. Yeah. Um, which is great. Especially with yeah. uh, like the kinesis and the way that's mm. been expanded, because that does just feel like you're playing Dead Space 2. Mm -hmm. Dead Space 3, there's so 
many environmental items that you can pick up and just launch enemies uh, that makes that combat loop for me. So that's I fine. just want that. I just, I, I mean, I've said this over. I need a T-shirt. <laughs> Telekinetic powers in games. Let me look. If, we're, if we have anything with a physics model, like anything with Havoc physics or whatever, I want to be able to just wrench a chair from an office and throw it at someone. Just give me a game where I can fling stuff at people. I'll never get tired of it. Um, it's my favorite thing. Speaking of my favorite thing, I love Metroid, and I didn't even look at the Metroid Prime remaster when they announced it. Uh, price, rather. I yeah. just saw that it was available and just mashed the button until it was mine. <laughs> and then that's all I've done is just had a... Me- Other than my Sunday, which was an afternoon of uh, Star Wars, my weekend has just been Metroid stuff. I um, I played a bit of Metroid Fusion. I went out back on Super Metroid for a little bit. I played a bit of Metroid 2. Ooh, and then wow. um, I went... Uh, overall, I've been playing Metroid Prime. I'm like, I don't know, three hours or something into it. Um, it's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's one of the best rem- uh, remasters in quite some time. And one of the best things about it, which is a weird sentence to say, is that it doesn't feel like a Switch game. Yeah. At no point are you reminded of the fact that the Switch pales in comparison hardware-wise to the other bigger consoles on the market. It just... <laughs> I was going to swear there. It absolutely just goes, Josh, bro. And uh, it's it's 60 FPS, 1080p. Like, you know, it, it's just a liquid butter game. It's been playtested to, into oblivion um, in the best way possible. And so if you like your Metroids, if you like the idea of item or weapon-based, you know, um, puzzle environments where you're unlocking the next thing based on the next upgrade you just got, it's one of the best ones of them of all time. Well, this is it, man. I've, I've not played a Metroid game yeah. apart from the original Metroid game, uh, right, okay. which I played on the Switch and hated. You probably did. Uh, I, of course I did. You know, I the first ones are really, really hard to just go back to. When I was looking we'll online, everyone said, you know, skip the first one, play the play second Super, one. Super, dude. Like, yeah. Super's what you want. Super Metroid is what everyone wants. Absolutely. But I've always wanted to play a Prime, but they've all those games have always been limited mm. for me. However, now that this is on Switch and it looks as gorgeous as it does, I can't wait to jump in because I feel like I've played all of the games that have imitated this mm, game mm, and mm, loved them. Mm. So I'm really excited to see what the original was all about. I definitely still point you towards Super. I think like Super and Dread are the two best 2D ones by my money. I love the remake of Metroid 2 that they did on the 3S a few years ago because um, it has the like radial 360 aiming and it has Dread's like counter. Like if an enemy is going to hit you, you can counter and do like a finisher, um, which they did a lot more of in uh, Dread. But um, so I'd still point to like if you want to be like, okay, what does this IP bring to gaming? That's still very much Super Metroid. We were talking maybe on podcast, maybe off podcast mm. uh, last week about uh, our kind of like approach to playing old games Mm. and you know some games you go back to and you can appreciate like as a almost like a museum piece Mm. to understand the context and the history of it Mm. but for me while i quite like doing that for some games if i don't enjoy it in the present tense then i'd rather watch like a video on it and Mm. because like uh super metroid was such a game that was so inaccessible to me for such a long time. I feel like I know every inch of it because I've watched so many video game essays on it. I've watched so many people talk about that game. It's almost a shame in that because you'll know the power-ups. That's it, I do. And I know the power-ups. I know a lot of the secret areas of where to go and stuff. And I'm sure I still would enjoy it, but that's one of those games that I was always so interested in, but because it wasn't available to me, I've sort of devoured um, through osmosis and Mm. through directly watching other people talk about it and do critiques of it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of a strange one i'll almost be i've not played it but if i played it now it'll be like replaying a game i would definitely i mean i would super metroid is one of my all-time favorite games like absolutely top three or five like it's way up Mm. there like i just love that whole game metroids when they're done well are this like perfect feeling of empowerment over time twinned with environmental exploration and like prime is like a condensed version of that in 3d like prime one is like the smallest of the trilogy in terms of the overall amount of levels you're going through and there is quite a lot of backtracking um you do unlock a lot of um, abilities that speed things up and like you know you obviously have the morph ball and you can get a boost for that and whatever um but it just looks gorgeous 
just like, if we're talking about it as a remaster, it is just something you can just give to someone now and be like, this is why Metroid matters to some degree. I think you get more out of the 2D ones. But still, uh, the Prime remaster just is very well put together. You can tell Retro Studios really cared about this. Um, hence, it was obviously their original anyway. Um, but it just it just does come together. It does just work. And yeah. like, I just, I mean, I'm a, I love Samus as a character. I love Metroid as a fiction. So like, it's a big dumb fiction. It's like a big, you know, weird dragon thing as a leader of some pirates. And it, they all have terms like the Galactic Federation, the pirates with capital P. Like, we're just going with that. And um, the science department are in charge of the suits that you wear and stuff. <laughs> so like, it's very 1986. Like, obviously, they just kept those terms going forward. Um, but yeah, in terms of what people remember from Metroid Prime, your mind will have upscaled it over time. Mm. And thankfully, it's one of those things where this just is what your mind remembers it being. Um, and it's not one of the, it's not until you really do side-by-sides that you realize just how much they overhauled. Um, and, but just things that you don't expect to see on the Switch, like um, smoke effects, fire effects, like all these different environmental things and atmospheric stuff that just really, most of the time, we associate it with the bigger consoles because they can afford the hardware um, or they can afford the processing time. Yeah. Um, or processing weight of it. Um, it's just a beautiful game, like, even, overall. Even as an outsider, it feels weird that they're marketing it as a remaster and not mm. a full remake when it feels yeah. so much of an overhaul, you know, mm-hmm. on par of something like Dead Space. You know, you look at them side mm-hmm. by side and, ju- like, looking at them and how much they've leaped in terms of technical quality mm-hmm. since their originals, like, I would be billing that as a, as a, as a full-on remake it's rather than just a remaster. Yeah, it's, I mean, the thing, the, the biggest difference is obviously the visuals. Like, um, Prime on GameCube was always really responsive anyway. It's just that this feels nice and snappy. But yeah, the main thing side by side is the visuals um, and just, like, adding so much more environmental detail and, and like, lighting. And obviously, I'm playing it on the OLED Switch, um, which, you know, if you play it, there's, there's a really cool bit, which it's quite blurry, but I love the idea of it where you get access to, like, a thermal visor. Um, and it's a bit like Dead Space. All the lights shut off. And you have this like like predator style thermal vision, um, and you're just in the room with these like acrobatic enemies that are like hanging from the roof. Um, but you're in a room with other things that have heat signatures, so you're trying to find them in the dark. And it's just a really cool set piece. Um, and you're trying to escape this facility as you're trying to find these creatures in the dark. And it's like little things like that that really work in like upscaled because um, it still has like a blur effect because it's trying to be like this other vision mode. But it's just a cool set piece. Um, and just things like that, like exploring those games are an absolute joy. Um, the thing that I think you would like about it is that you love. Um, Outer Wilds. Yes. Um, and I think that there's a there's a little bit of um of Metroid's DNA in Outer Wilds, like that idea of going back and forth to different environments and seeing what else you can tweak. Okay, now I've got this ability or this um, item, what can I open up? And like memorizing the environment and whatever, and like keeping your eye open, realizing there's a path that, you know, if I blow this wall, I can go this way and whatever. And like the beauty of like Prime, it's like you don't realize how hand how much your hand is being held because you can complete things in different orders. Um, and it's always rewarding because of that. It's like there's just, there's always a beauty in there yeah, of like man. game design. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend Metroid Prime uh, Remastered to everyone. I mean, I like love Metroid as an IP. Um, and I love right now that Nintendo are like reinvesting in Metroid. Like Metroid Dread blew away all their sales expectations. And like now we've got the Metroid Prime thing coming out. In game industry terms or uh, thought processes, you rarely get a remaster without the next game coming soon. Yeah. So assumedly Prime 4 is around the corner as well. And it's also Retro uh, Studios. So um, I love this entire IP and I'm glad it's back. It's been away for like 30 years. Hey, so it's pretty good. Maybe now I finally dust off that copy of Metroid Dread and play that Please Prime do. back to back. Maybe Maybe the next bubble that I have after my big survival horror binge will be Metroid. Maybe it's finally time. I would the, I would just say to you that you should you should definitely Super Metroid is like essential stuff. That's like this that's just god tier game. I would do Super, I would do Dread, um, and I would do this Prime Remaster. That's a beautiful little trilogy like that'll that. um, show you like what Mars the most, I guess, for this IP. 
that's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Um, for for the news, though, to transition from what we've been playing into the latest things, doing the rounds online, um, The Evil Within 3 got a teaser. Yes. Um, got a little Easter egg got teaser. Tilford. I know. I thought we'd open talking about this uh, on the news section because uh, Inside Hi-Fi Rush, which is Tango Gameworks' latest game, which is like a rhythm action platformer hack and slash thing. I finished it. I'm like, I'm struggling to describe the thing. It's uh, Devil May Cry with a, a sort of a more uh, synth pop soundtrack. Um, inside that game, there's a level uh, towards the end. I think it's in like uh, chapter 11 or something um, that shows uh, like a news ticker feed on one of the screens and people have paused it and looked at what one of the headlines is on the screen in game. And it says sequel to popular survival horror franchise announced. Um, obviously that's in universe or whatever, but we are, we are all waiting on more evil within. Oh, we really are, man. And you know <laughs> what? I love that they've done Hi-Fi Rush. I even love that they've done Ghostwire Tokyo. But mm. my true love from Tango Gameworks is the evil within. Because, yes. and I just mentioned my survival horror binge that I'm about to embark on after <laughs> Dead Space. 
that includes replaying The Evil Within 1 and 2 because Ooh. I love 2. I've talked about it so much over the years, but I do think it's one of the best survival horror games of all time. Yeah, I love yeah. the fact that they've taken what worked in Dead Space and Resident Evil 2, uh, the, the, even though it was before Resident Evil 2, but you know what I mean, in Resident Evil generally, mm-hmm. in Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 5, uh, and opened it up to a semi-open world formula, you know, mm-hmm. allowed you to kind of feel like you're not on a haunted house ride, but like you're almost curating your own haunted mm. house ride by deciding which alleyway to go down, what scares are going to be down there. If mm. I go into this house to do this side mission, what surprises is it going to have in store? The element of surprise in Evil Within 2 is absolutely incredible, mm. and it felt like they finally, with that game, understood what the franchise was. Yep. So to see that momentum not pay off with a quicker turnaround for three always disappointed me personally, and hopefully, mm. if this is true, and this is really teasing an imminent evil within three, they managed to capitalize on what made two such a success, mm. because even though it didn't do all that well commercially, they were onto something, man. I'm they telling really you, man, were. semi-open world horror, like it doesn't need to be a gigantic map. It just needs to have that free form approach to it where you have like in, in Evil Within 2's case, like a chunk of level, like a Hitman level. Yeah. And it's just sort of like various corners you can hide from enemies, various places they can plant jump scares where you don't realize you're going walking into an area that has various set piece triggers that are going to happen. Um, and it just, it lets the horror just completely overwhelm you because you just don't know. Um, and I, yeah, man, I love, like I didn't, I never finished Evil Within 2. That's one of those games that I love to a point. Um, there was a very specific encounter with some weird like magma lava men. I remember, yeah. Um, that I just just absolutely hated. And I was like, this is just so not what I want from this that I'm not going to get any uh, further through it. Um, but I would, at some point, I would like to finish that game. Um, but overall, though, I wonder if they did Hi-Fi Rush and they did Ghostwire Tokyo to get the money, get the capital to do the big evil within thing. Because that was Shinji Mikami's uh, new, new horror IP after Resident Evil. So it makes sense to kind of like reinvest in that uh, going forward. Because yeah. in the behind the scenes stuff, um, Hi-Fi Rush wasn't Shinji Mikami's idea. He just sort of got on board with it over time. So um, I would hope that his heart is still with Evil Within. Me too. And I, I think it's a good time for mm. it if it does come out within, you know, the next year or two because mm. we've got Dead Space now. We've got Resident Evil 4 coming out. We've got all of these great survival horror titles that are currently in vogue right now and people are loving and people are talking about. Mm. The Evil Within deserves to be spoken about alongside those great very franchises, true. in my opinion, mm-hmm. even though the first one is very much a proof of concept and a little bit weird and bad at times. I love, I love the story. Yeah, I love yeah, yeah. the world. I love this whole thing of like this um, like shared consciousness matrix animus machine and then uh, people's like darkest thoughts create creatures that we can all share because we're all plugged into this one thing. Yeah. I think that's a really cool idea. I like, like Revik's a kind of fun character. Reminds me of Jared Nomek from Blade 2. Yes. Which is a pull. Hell yeah. Um, but that dude's just so Jared Nomek. Um, and then like two has that weird like photographer villain who's like taking photos and tra- trapping people in photos and yeah. stuff. It's just so many cool ideas. That's it. Like for as much as I love Resident Evil and the law of Resident Evil, and I absolutely do, mm. that game is somewhat limited in terms of what it can do where you're always referring it back to like a virus or a biohazard. Mm. So when they started doing seemingly more supernatural stuff in 7, people were kind of like, this, this might be scary, but mm. you might be breaking the canon at the same time. We've got to tie it back into mm. some kind of, you know, biological, like almost man-made or yeah. man-synthesized thing. Mm. Whereas the plot of The Evil Within, where you are just in someone's mind and like subject to their darkest thoughts, opens up such creativity, mm. like full spoilers for The Evil Within 1 yes. at this moment in time. But the fact that that game takes place within the mind of a serial killer <laughs> is nuts. And it, it opens, like I said, the door to so much 
possibility and so many surprises and so many mysteries that a more grounded world uh, might you might be more limited with mm. maybe. No, I I always love that as a as a way for the devs to just have because that's the thing in Evil Within Two you start getting like levels that are collapsing or like various different things. That, I mean they do a bit of that towards the end of one, but like stuff that is just experimenting with like that sort of um, Inception style, like you know worlds are folding in on themselves and stuff like that. It's like there's so much they can do with that. I just love that setup. I was just I love the Matrix and I'm I'm up for them doing like Matrix horror. It's like that's such a great idea. Like you can do way more with yeah. Um, so we'll keep an eye out with that. It is just an Easter egg at the minute, but it makes sense. Um, to do more with that. Um, Jeff Grubb uh, from the Game Mess show over on Giant Bomb, uh, obviously known leaker, known dude who says stuff that comes true, um, has said that a low-key state of play is coming in the next four weeks and a proper PlayStation showcase will come after. Um, this makes sense, obviously, because Nintendo just did their Direct where they blew everybody away. Xbox did their Developer Direct where Hi-Fi Rush dropped. Sony are the only one that hasn't had something to show, and I feel like they have... I would... I mean... They should have been way more on it with PSVR 2. Like, I just yeah. feel like they're resigning that to a blog, and then after all that stuff happens, maybe they'll do a follow-up thing, of like, hey, by the way, guys, this thing is available. But I feel like there are so many games and just general housekeeping that Sony should be doing right now. I, for me, if we're doing predictions for hmm. what these shows are going to be, I think the imminent state of play is going to be focused on PSVR. It's going to be focused on Final Fantasy 16, which is Ooh, one of the only other games of theirs that has a date right now. It's also and in that um, live from PS5 advert thing. Yep. They show Kratos and Spidey and Final Fantasy. Absolutely. I think we'll probably see stuff about Street Fighter 6 and oh. maybe something about Spider-Man, maybe mm. a, a reaffirmed release date or maybe a new trailer. And I think the showcase is where we see proper gameplay for mm. Spider-Man. Mm. We see whatever else they're cooking up. Maybe maybe more of the DLC for Horizon, maybe a new announcement for Ghost of Tsushima two or something like that. Maybe we finally see The Last of Us Factions, and that's the one I'm looking forward to more. I always quite like the state of plays, but mm. we're always... We kind of know what they are at this point, and they're often either showcases for a big imminent game mm. or a nice little update for indie games or third parties or some smaller first party stuff, whereas yeah. the showcase, I feel like we've been starved of that for literally over a year now, where we didn't get one last year, mm. and, and we have so many unknowns with Sony right now that we need to know. Totally. I mean, I feel like, for me, I don't feel like they know what they are. Like, I feel like they sort of, like, the realm they're entering into is this, like, live stream version of E3, Game Awards, um, you know, Summer Games Fest, whatever. It's in that space, and they try and meet it out by saying, like, oh, we got some blog post announcements, and they'll maybe do a tweet the night before saying, like, hey, we're not announcing anything first party, but that never seeps through to the mainstream, or at least the amount of people that want to watch these things. They're always going to expect... So if PlayStation say we're going to announce some games, yeah. we're going to announce anything, the default is what's the coolest thing that could be there. Right. And everyone is, I feel like everyone is always let down by that. Um, and it's always that thing of like them sort of, like I said, like competing with Nintendo Direct, competing with that idea that some, anything can happen. Um, and they sometimes nail it. But I think for me, most of the time with the state of play, they've, they've not. It's, I feel like people come away from Nintendo Direct freaking out and it dominates Twitter, it dominates social media for that night or the day after. Like how much traction was all that Game Boy and Metroid Prime stuff doing? Um, versus a state of play just going like, I guess, yeah. I guess that's a DLC for something, like, or whatever it is. So I get that they're splitting it between a, um, you know, like a smaller state of play announcement, maybe a PSVR specific one, um, and then do the PlayStation showcase for everything else going. Maybe we get a Wolverine teaser or something. Um, but I feel like the optics of how they roll that out could be a lot clearer. Like, Nintendos are just so clear. They hang back, they do a direct. It's filled with big stuff. Like, Nintendo has not missed a direct before. As someone who is an outsider to the Nintendo stuff, mm. The Nintendo Direct stuff, I always think, 
Uh, as an old man, like I, I've seen you and James Douse so disappointed by directs before, where you're expecting something big and then you mm. get like minor updates. And is that not kind of similar? Where yeah, my mind was great. Right? Okay. <laughs> I don't remember being disappointed by a direct. <laughs> I remember one time distinctly, you and James Douse were watching it on your phones at work, uh, and you were both. Oh, I think we were doing a podcast, and Douse had been watching it. And we right. were upstairs half an hour into the show, and we were like, "Have we missed much?" And he was like, <laughs> He's like, "No, nothing at all. You've not missed anything." Uh, but maybe I'm just maybe that no, was only one is, time. I don't know. I know. I definitely think that that's like that must have happened in the past. I think that um, even the most recent Nintendo Direct was quite flat for the first half. It's just that they ended strong. They had the Game Boy stuff. They had the Metroid Prime. And they had the Zelda big big finish. Like it's one of those sort of like psychological things for a movie. Where as long as you're smiling as the credits roll, you'll remember the whole thing more positive than it actually was. Yeah. Um, it feels like that. I feel like that's what Sony fall down on. You like they'll say like one more announcement and it'll just be that like you know some DLC is coming to something. It's just I feel like they're not as good at rounding out their presentations as they should be. I fully agree about the state of players. I think the state of players, we've had some good ones, but they aren't, like like mm. you were saying there, they aren't of the same caliber of the direct where anything can happen. Mm -hmm. However, I do think over the past four years, they've knocked their showcases out of the park. So mm. that's the one I'm looking forward to. State of play is fine. I'll look forward to it, but I'm not going to get excited about mm. it. I don't I don't think we'll be doing like loads of mad predictions on it. To me though, when that showcase comes out before June, I think they can't really lose with the stuff that they could announce if they show The Last of Us Factions, mm. if they show Spider-Man 2 gameplay, if they give us another trailer for Wolverine, if mm. they show us the DLC for Horizon, if they maybe announce something God of War related, a Ghost of Tsushima related, <laughs> or maybe have the Metal Gear remake there, or maybe more oh, Silent God. Hill. Like, they have a lot of they stuff do. that we know about mm. that are, that is in development that feels right to show now and they have a lot of stuff presumably that we don't know about and I feel like with a year and a half off they almost can't lose with that showcase you would hope not that's definitely what the, I feel like recently they've chased Nintendo's business model in terms of let's double down on the first party IPs that we have and the things that we can control and make sure that people know that we are the studio responsible for your Spider-Mans your God of Wars your Horizons whatever and then it then sets it up for okay your next like showcase thing should just be like hit after hit after hit um, with everything being recognisable and champion and whatever, which is mostly why people love those directs. Like, I mean, even if you're not if talking about the second half of the most recent one, you still had Kirby was in there. You still had like Fire Emblem stuff being announced. Like, it's all recognizable IP. And I feel like because stuff is set up so much for PlayStation to smash it out of the park, anything less than, oh my God, like consistent, oh my God reactions yeah. feels like a bit that it's quite deflating. And um, it depends on the structure of that show and everything. But um, yeah, they did, like you said, they have so much to show, like Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two, yes. like things that they can call their own that like are in theory still coming to Xbox, but just haven't yet, um, that would get a lot of people talking. It's just that for me, they've never steered into it. Nintendo feel like they have, so, they hold back and then they like, give you stuff to talk about. Whereas oh. most of the time I come away from a state of play just going like, okay. A state of play. That's the distinction that's, that's I want to make, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The state of play, I, I absolutely agree. But mm. when I talk about like those big wow moments, it is the showcases. Mm. It's the E3 showcases. It's the uh, old PSX celebrations that they used to do where it was hit after hit after hit, right. after hit, after hit, after hit, you get Kratos coming out of the I was just going to say, like, that was their last big moment. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, I wouldn't agree with that either. What have they have since then? They've had the Last of Us 2 since yeah. then, I want to say. Yeah, they've had Ghost of Tsushima since then, which I really loved. They've oh, had... game-wise, I love it. I'm talking about yeah. like big E3-style reveals that they sort of curate themselves. I mean, that was an E3 moment. That was. But I'm trying to think of like something where they did a live stream where like something was revealed, something that no one expected, like something mm. like that. That tends to be something that they could do a lot more of. Probably, for me, 
like was Final Fantasy 16 theirs when we had yeah, Tekken actually, 8 yep. and Final Fantasy yep, yep, 16 yep. where they were like big moments. Oh, you're yeah, not wrong. Yeah, I think that. the yeah. last one was the reveal of Tekken 8. Yeah. yeah, what am I talking about? That was an incredible reveal. <laughs> yeah, maybe they've got more irons in the fire than I think. Well, this is it, but I do agree that like those are separate from regular mm. state of players in my mind. Like state of players are smaller updates mm. that might have a few good games, but it's the showcases that that that's when your, your excitement is allowed to go through the roof and your mad predictions are allowed to come out because... <laughs> the Last Guardian 2. Yeah, yeah, they have proven that anything can happen in those showcases mm. when The Last Guardian was announced, when we got Final Fantasy VII Remake, mm. and they have enough momentum, hopefully, to not disappoint me. I'm going to eat those words in a few months, no doubt, but I feel I like feel... they need to deliver because they have had a year and a half off. That's so, the thing. It's a lot of time since then. And I feel like oh, like you've got Nintendo saying we do the directs. They sometimes do those treehouse streams where they'll just play stuff afterwards. But it's nowhere near as marketed as the Nintendo Direct. Like you think a Nintendo live stream, it's the Direct. You can go to that one place and look at all the new stuff. And then it feels like everybody has tried to do their own version of that. And Sony, for me, have struggled optically with the difference between a state of play and a PlayStation showcase. Xbox have sort of like done their um, that X3 stream, whatever it was called. There's like that whole specific Xbox showcase that they kind of streamed out. And they did that demo showcase for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now they did the developer direct. It was okay. Let's try this. It's it's straight from the de- developers announcing their own games and stuff, and um, which worked. That worked better in terms of Hi Fi Rush because everybody was talking about Hi Fi Rush, and I feel like the they're all just trying to do what Nintendo started. Like Nintendo were the first ones to break away from E three and just say we don't even need that. Yeah. We've got our own stream and it's consolidated into a direct. And so not that I'm being this big Nintendo fanboy, even though I love Nintendo. No, they would. I still tra- feel like they. Yeah, exactly. They showed like they were the first ones to pioneer this sort of live stream approach to um you know first party announcements and things like that. And it is the competition trying to find the best way to compete with that. Um, overall, we should just get good stuff coming. So we better, be, man, because yeah. like we know it we got Spider-Man this year, and we've already had Forspoken, which was a huge hit by all accounts, critically and commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, being sarcastic there. <laughs> uh, but we have, you know, Spider-Man at the end of the year. We have Final Fantasy 16 yet to come. We've got Final Fantasy 7, mm-hmm. the second part of that remake, which is allegedly coming out this year as well. There's Who knows so if much it will. this year. But there's, there's a lot, and those are three big Sony games, yeah, two of them second party, mm. third party, whatever. Uh, so it's like, what else have you got up your sleeve? Have mm. you got anything else for this year? Because I don't necessarily think they need anything else to no. release this year, mm. but they need to announce stuff for next year because we have no idea what's coming out then. Maybe Wolverine, but nothing else on top of that. No, and it's like they're finally back on top of the uh, supply stuff as well. So it's like, yeah. this is the year where you let everybody get a PS5 and catch up on what they missed across the last couple of years. Get them all on Returnal yeah. or something. And then next year you go, hey, here's all the next gen exclusive stuff. And like the, all those things will be in production. So it's like, it makes sense to, I mean, it's not that I want another tide over yet, you're still going to get Spider-Man 2, Final Fantasy 16, but that actual, like, okay, open the faucet, like, all the new next-gen games, that's probably going to be next year. Well, yes. Wellity, wellity. In, in like, you know, totality, I yeah. do think that'll definitely be, you know, we'll, we'll get a proper next-gen year next year, but yeah. I do think they've set themselves up well with the stock, you know, actually being in a healthy place at this moment in time because all of the games we just reeled off there, Spider-Man 2, Final Fantasy 7, Final Fantasy 16, mm. they are all PS5 exclusive. They're not cross-gen. True. So it's like they are reasons to pick up this console and Spider-Man in particular, I do think is going to be a big uh, that's system gonna be like a, Yeah, that's going to be seller? massive. System seller. <laughs> I feel like the original, um, was it 2018 for the first Spidey? Yes. Um, was like just this like point in time and I feel like, uh, yeah, Spider-Man 2 is going to be a massive, it's not that they don't have stuff that's going to be massive deals. I'm just talking about, yeah, that wider idea of like, okay, the next generation has finally kicked in because things like Dead Space being next gen only is, is good to see um, and is uh, reassuring as to like the idea of the caliber of stuff that's coming uh, going forward. Um, not like 
Forspoken 720p <laughs> at uh, 60 FPS or whatever it is. Um, the next thing I've got down is Windows Central's Jez Corden saying that Starfield's coming in June this year. Um, he was talking on the Xbox Two podcast and said a lot of people, uh, sorry, a lot of people think that the Starfield launch date might be tied to International Space Day, which I then Googled it in April. Um, but he says, I'm of the opinion that Starfield is going to be released in June. The latest information I have suggests a June release. Um, that's kind of soon. It that's is. only like a few months away. It really is. And you know what? You might I, as well do a big summer game. You might as well do a big summer game. There Nothing are, ever's out in the summer. Like, no? legit, it's always dead. Exactly, it's always dead. And if you're going to release a 100-hour-plus big <laughs> space-faring RPG, do it in the summer when mm-hmm. I personally have time to play it. You know, when I'm not surrounded not by other games. When I'm not skateboarding. <laughs> when, I, when VR's lost its luster after yeah. a few months. <laughs> give me a uh, Starfield. No, I, I, I would love that. I don't want it to come out at the end of the year where we're all fighting for, you know, bandwidth mm-hmm. in the gaming realm. And this first half of the year right now was packed when you, next week we're getting the PSVR we're getting yeah, is that you know, next like week? a dragon that's next week oh my God. we're getting you know what is that the one Warlong Fallen Dynasty yes. we're getting a bunch of games that are about to drop uh, so yeah take the summer hopefully you're good Starfield hopefully you're a good experience <laughs> and in, in le- just allow yourself a few months to dominate the conversation yeah there's always that like it's almost like a knock on from the idea that E3 or the various announcements used to be in the sort of middle of the year that you wouldn't actually get game releases around that time because everyone's preparing for the holiday and that general assumption of spending habits meaning that people have more disposable income towards the end of the year because they're buying for Christmas or whatever it is anyway but like that always does mean that there's a massive gap in the middle of the year it's it, it, almost every year there's like very little in June July um, so that would make perfect sense and the idea like that idea of the game largely being finished for quite some time now you might as well just bug fix even more and then release some pristine thing across the summer yeah pristine I would like that is the word I think it's mm. gotta be pristine it's gotta <laughs> make a splash it's gotta dominate the conversation like I say mm-hmm. to roll something else into this because we can talk about just that wider idea of, uh, of sitting on games until they're you know 100% uh, ready and um, because Metroid Prime and, and Fire Emblem Engage have apparently well Research has been done into Metroid Prime first being released, first being listed by the German rating organization back in July 2021, and the idea that that game was ready way back then, and then finally coming out now, it's like 18 months later or whatever. Um, Fire Emblem Engage was also a game that was listed on a, on a ratings board like quite some time ago, and then now they both came out. So I just think that's an interesting pivot, that idea that like just because a game is ready, you don't need to immediately put it out. Yeah. If you have enough money, like Nintendo, you can sit and more cal- and be more calculated about it. Um, it's not just about releasing it just because you can. I think it was the- the same with the um, Modern Warfare 2 remake, mm. not COD Modern Warfare 2. Yep. You know, like the, remake the, of the original. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. remake of the original, which, you know, apparently, allegedly was finished quite quickly after they released the remake of Modern Warfare 1. Mm. And then the Activision just sat in it because they didn't really know what to do with it. Right. Because apparently, these are according to the reports, the multiplayer was also remastered. But then Modern Warfare, the the, the reboot was such a success that they knew they were going to do <laughs> Modern Warfare 2 and incorporate some of the maps into there so they didn't want to cannibalize their own sales. So they ended up sitting on the remastered right. uh, campaign and then released that a few years after it was allegedly finished because it was a case of, we've got so much Call of Duty, how do we fit in more Call of Duty? I love them just being like, like when you order food from like a takeout place and it's like, did anyone actually order this? And it's like, well, I guess we'll have it. I mean, you might as well. We've got everything else. Yeah. Um, give it to someone. Um, but yeah, I like that idea because um, obviously it's worked wonders with Metroid Prime Re- Remaster. They can, I mean, we a lot of the conversation was around the idea of remastering the trilogy. Um, I think originally that came from Imran, Imran Khan, who used to work for Kind of Funny. 
um, saying that that whole trilogy was just sitting there waiting to be released, and that was like the general sort of conversation, and um, was that Nintendo were just sitting on it, and because Metroid Prime 4 was restarted, they would just sit and wait and wait and wait until things were made more sense, which right now it does. Like, Metroid Prime is being talked about again, so if they then do something for Metroid Prime 4, maybe towards the end of the year or whatever, then that does make more sense. I just like that more. That's more considered than just, like, get it out the door. Like, I think anything that gets away from broken games day one, yeah. I'm a million percent for. 100%. I think, you know, obviously, you want a game to be as polished as it can be, and if mm. that means holding on to it for a little bit, that's great. Mm. I do worry about the potential cynical side of this, mm. where we're seeing it in the movie space, where completed movies just get shelved or canned and they right. never release, and that sucks when someone has spent five years of their life working on a game, and a publisher decides, no, now's not the right time. Mm. And then they wait too long, and they, they think, oh, now's never the time. Like, if that <laughs> Call of Duty report is true, and the work was put into remastering the multiplayer and that was never released and mm. never will release now that sucks yeah that right. just sucks yeah. well the thing is like I mean I mentioned Goldeneye um, no didn't I, I didn't I was talking to you about Goldeneye before you we were recording um, Goldeneye on the brain over here but um, they did have that full remade version of Goldeneye that wasn't the Daniel Craig one that went to the Wii and wasn't the original that was going to be on Xbox Live Arcade back in like 2006 or whatever it was that just never came out and that is that does still exist somewhere so like there's probably a whole bunch of games that were like gotten to a certain point and then not put out that like would just sit there until the right time or whatever license dispute got in the way that meant they couldn't happen. Um, but I think that's a fascinating wrinkle to video game development cycles, especially when we see so many games that just do release in broken states that yeah. just need a little bit more time um, and are 99% of the time released in that state to hit a financial window, to hit some sort of um, pleasing shareholder window where someone like Nintendo can be like, we're Nintendo, we're just going to yeah. hang back and like you know release it when it's ready, which I would <laughs> I would prefer that overall as long as they stick to it. I wish EA did that with Titanfall 2. Yes, so oh my God, yeah. A good game. They could have released that early the year afterwards where no games of that caliber were coming out mm -hmm. in the first-person shooter space and just dominated that sales period out of getting out the way of Call of Duty, getting out the way of their own Battlefield 1 and just allowed that game to breathe. But no, they had to get that thing out before that was the holiday. Like, like, like a proper like human shield in front of something. like that was Because that was that year, 2016, when Advanced Warfare was coming out. And it was like, well, we need something techie to compete with this. So just throw Titanfall 2 in the, in the face of it. Oh my God. Like that, I always think like that and uh, Ma uh, Mad Max releasing on the same day as Phantom Pain are the two worst release dates in gaming history. Yeah. Um, because that Mad Max game is brilliant, as we always say. Um, and it was just completely overshadowed. And then, yeah, Titanfall 2, you just killed an IP. Um, which, like, Apex tried to revive it, but it's still dead. Like, we found out the other week that the next Titanfall isn't happening anymore. So, it's, yeah. It's so horrifying to be able to peek behind the curtain and know why release dates are the way they are. Mm. You know, we see so many games coming out now at the end of February, uh, maybe even early March, because, like, the financial year ends at the end of March and <laughs> the beginning of April. So it's it's publishers wanting to get these games out mm -hmm. so they have, you know, higher earnings to report so they can say, we shipped these games in this financial year. Yep. Here's how they did. Here's our numbers. Whereas if they delay that to the next fi financial year, this financial year <laughs> that they're in will look weaker and they'll have to explain it. And it's like, man, like, that's not good for like, what's gamers. Your, what's the rush? Yeah. Why do you need to do all this? Like, just, just give 
give it a minute. Like, it was, it's all right. You're not good anywhere. It was the same last year, right? Mm. When so many games got delayed from holiday 2021. And then we got the big February, March rush because mm. that was pretty much the limit of when they could be delayed to because yes. anything past then would knock it into the next financial year. Not every publisher was able to take that big hit, but it meant we got the packed February where a game like Horizon Forbidden West mm. sort of came and went because it was immediately <laughs> overshadowed by Elden Ring. That might be number three on the worst release date. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How this thought would possibly compete. In, in, in that's that's why I would kind of like back what you were talking about there because that's when you're also underserving the people who worked on these games yep. who put years of their time, years of hard work into them just to see uh, arbitrary release dates be slapped on it mm-hmm. to hopefully make the most amount of money, but it doesn't give it the legs, it doesn't give it the space that it deserves. So no. hopefully the Starfield thing is more considered. And also, like you know, things they do release early, they release broken, they don't sell like like the Avengers or whatever it is. Obviously, there's more problems to that game. But even the WWE games recently, like I bought 2K22 last year, first wrestling game in like 20 years or whatever, to play AEW games, matches. <laughs> but still, um, they shifted that whole release calendar because like obviously the year before that, they missed one, and the year before that, it was absolutely disastrous. And then this year's game, which like usually that um, slot was a holiday slot, but now it's like the next game is coming out in March, which like you said, is the end of a financial window, but is more manageable for that dev team. They're not crunching to get it out before Christmas just to try and capitalize on all the Christmas stuff. So maybe some steps can be taken in that direction overall. But I just like the idea of, um, you know, like calculating when it's best to put something out and not just kicking it out the door and hoping for the best. Because there's been a lot of just hoping for the best yeah. with a lot of broken stuff. And I mean, yeah. I do think we are inching towards, you know, a better release schedule than we ever had you know I've yeah I've just slagged off the February release date there <laughs> but that's better than what we had before then yep. when even that would be unthinkable for some developers who mm-hmm. would just say no get this game out in November get this game out in September because mm-hmm. we need to hit that Hollywood win- Hollywood window the holiday window yes. now we do have that space of okay it can be delayed it can come out in January we actually can have good games that release in January mm-hmm. February now which we couldn't 10 years ago really not to this scale mm-hmm. so we are inching closer towards a, a happier release schedule I think I just want to see that pushed even further. Same. There's also the irony of like uh, trying to double down on, on live services and being like, well, everyone's playing games at all times. They're always aware, they're always available. The audience is always there, but you can't put the game out now. They're not. No one will buy it. There's no one there. It's just. It's yeah. The, the industry is, continues to eat itself most of the time. Um, but for now, this has been the wind up. I've been Scott Tilbert. You've been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilbert. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next week. Bye bye. Goodbye. <laughs>
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.